Welcome to Unexpected Points. I have a very special guest, Marcel Louis-Jacques. We are going to talk everything Dolphins, who he covers for ESPN, including Mike McDaniel, the Tua situation, what's going to go on in the draft and free agency. But let's get right to it. All right. Thank you, Marcel, for joining me. Uh, first off, let's do the small talk portion of the of the podcast here. So the last time you joined me was during the 2020 season. You were covering the Buffalo Bills. Uh, now you're in Miami. So I, I did notice that the, the progression of your career, I believe, had gone from at least in the last few stops, Arizona to Charlotte, up to Buffalo. So I want to congratulate you on heading back down into, <laughs> into the warm area here. And I'm sure that was a little bit of a factor in your decision. Yeah, you know, also some stops in uh, Texas, South Carolina, okay. before Charlotte. I mean, we've, it's just a big line, big smiley face, and then down, you know, uh, throughout the course of my career. But no, man, it, it's been cool. Um, I always joke that, you know, I wear, when I'm back home, I'm actually in California right now, Hence the the Sacramento heavy backdrop, but uh, you know I, I always joke that I wear I'm wearing t-shirts in February. I haven't done that in three years, so uh, I can appreciate <laughs> I can appreciate the warm weather. Um, and you know, it's never boring. I'll tell you that it has never been boring since I moved down. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's yeah, it's it's going to be an interesting off season, I think, uh, for the the Dolphins in particular, the Bills. You know, the, the, you you help them ascend basically to where to where yeah, they are yeah. now. So if you could bring sprinkle some of that same magic down in in Florida. So I, I kind of give you the agenda beforehand. Um, I wanted to talk, Coach uh, Mike McDaniel first, being that it's kind of the most recent news and. Um, I'm kind of going to try to use you as a vessel a little bit to uh, be 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 my nerd self here and maybe critique a little bit of his, you know, model analytics talk, his running the football talk. And I know that you had the chance to sit down with him kind of one on one. So maybe like we will start start big picture. I'm not sure he was in the running for any other positions here, but he has been a name that people have known about because he's part of the Shanahan tree. You know, he's like LaFleur got his gig. And then if you look at Robert Sala had come off of there and then others that he did, they, you know, everyone worked together. Everyone who was a coach in the national football league all worked on the Washington uh, football team back in 2013. So he's part of that thing, but I don't think he was necessarily like a top, top coaching candidate coming into this. What was your impression of how he was viewed even before the process started? No, this was somebody who, you know, I became more aware of uh, as the Dolphins coaching search began. Uh, what really caught my attention was, I think the same thing that caught the casual football fans' attention was the the charismatic, you know, joke-filled, uh, you know, interview and press conferences that he was doing with the 49ers media over zoom. And, uh, so then started looking at his background. It's when I found out that, yeah, he was part of that, you know, that NFL rat pack, I guess we're going to call it or whatever. Leonardo DiCaprio is like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is called. Yeah. Like that version of the, or that, that in the NFL. But, um, you know, he is a, you know, for as young and I guess kind of like, I don't, I don't know if unknown is the right word, but uh, when I say that, I mean, just, he's not really a household name. He wasn't really a household name moving into this this process he is experienced 
like he's been around, he's been around the league for a long time. And, you know, there, for the people who question and wonder like, why is he a head coach? How is he, how can he do this? Like he's, he's paid his dues. I mean, he's only got that one year of, you know, offensive coordinator title, but uh, you know, he has been on, I think it's seven different teams. Now he's been in the league one way or another since Oh four, I believe Oh five. This isn't somebody who's just new to the game. Um, and you know, he's, he's very smart. Everybody I've spoken with about him, um, you know, they, they speak directly about his football acumen. They call him a genius. And, you know, he, he kind of, he, he looks like when he's got that, like that startup disruptor, techie <laughs> look, you know what I mean? Like yeah, the, the yeah. zip up hoodie and jeans. Uh, I mean, when we sat down, uh, last week, same thing, zip up hoodie jeans, nice watch Christian Louboutin red bottoms too. That, uh, I the think you pay attention on. to the details Can, cannot be slept on there. Like he, he, he knows how to dress. He, like, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like he doesn't, he's, he's so out of touch in the fashion world, but I think he's, he's the kind of guy who like his mind moves like a thousand miles an hour and his mouth can only move maybe 50 miles an hour or a hundred. You know what I mean? Like, I think mm-hmm. that it's going so fast up here that when you when you hear maybe the the, the ums or the stutters or like uh, the I guess kind of weird tangents, I think that's what's going on. Like it's not necessarily that he's awkward. And if you're around like people who are just really 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 smart like that, they all kind of speak the same way. And that like yeah, he's he's got ten thousand miles going on up here, and is trying to kind of like formulate how to how to say it out loud. And uh, that's at least that's the impression that I've gotten from him the yeah. couple of times I've been able to sit down and speak with him. But, uh, you know, former players rave about him. I think, uh, you know, that that says a lot. Uh, you know, George Kittle was trying to work into his contract that, you know, he can <laughs> they can keep Mike McDaniel on staff. I think, you know, obviously he wasn't serious, but it's a fun gesture. It's a it's a nice gesture. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I am uh, I'm really kind of fascinated in how this is how this is going to work. Uh, he's got his work cut out for him on offense. There's not really a ton to build on, uh, as I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on during this podcast. But uh, I'm really intrigued with how he's going to kind of manufacture some production here uh, because save a massive spending spree this offseason, there's just not like a lot to work with on that side of the ball as currently, you know, as currently constructed. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be a lot of moves and like you mentioned, we'll we'll get into some of that. I mean, I think I think he got onto my radar just a little bit, not much uh a number of years ago. Um Andrew Hawkins I think was one of his big backers. Um he I think maybe they had worked together when he was in Cleveland. Um and he mm-hmm. he talked about how smart McDaniel was at that point. And you mentioned the uh you know the the, the thoughts in front of the the, the the words coming out and maybe this is part of why when I was listening to some of his answers about analytics in particular you know that's we're gonna have to you know we're gonna have to, have to touch on that <laughs> subject I was I was uh you know I was putting some stuff out there about some of his answers which I wasn't that that happy about um but I think even in his press conference there did seem to be this I don't know if it's I don't know if it's awkwardness but it's not this gravitas sort of presidential uh, demeanor that's going on. Um, And I know that it probably plays better maybe in a one-on-one type of atmosphere than it does in some of these interviews or some of these other settings where it's just sometimes it came across like it was 
he didn't have an answer planned out for some questions that you think you should know that these questions are going to come in a way, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, and my first impression or, or what I kind of thought, I thought he just was a little bit nervous that that's yeah. how it, it, it seemed at first. Uh, and it was understandable because I mean, it's a guy who's kind of been tucked away on that San Francisco coaching staff for the past five years. He hasn't had to do a whole lot of these like big setting interviews. Like, so I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not going to attack somebody or, you know, knock somebody for being nervous in that kind of situation. But the more, like I said, I got to, you know, I spoke to people about who he is and where I got to talk to him. I realized that, no, I think he's just the kind of person where mind is moving a hundred miles an hour, brain is, or mouth is moving maybe half of that. So yeah. I think, you know, the, the Dolphins PR staff is, you know, they, I'm sure they prepared him for everything that he would have to answer. Uh, yeah. I don't know if anything was necessarily a surprise for him uh that day but i think it might have been a matter of again like he's just thinking of so many things to say in that s scenario that maybe what he what exactly he meant isn't what came out of his mouth uh but uh no man it, it, it's like and and i think maybe there's this unfair expectation because all that we've seen all the the public outside of san francisco off out of that beat have seen are the like the jokes and the anecdotes and the Mike Jones drops and like, yeah, that's the, like we kind of like that's all we see, that's all we know of him, that's all we think he he is, and that's kind of like that's kind of an unrealistic expectation for him, right? To be just dropping gemstones like that with every single answer. I think uh, maybe it was maybe it, it was just weird expectations or maybe too lofty expectations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was telling you earlier. I grabbed the the Mike Jones drops here that we could use maybe at another time. Now, tell me if you can hear this, because I'm going to try to play here a clip of when he was talking about the hashtag analytics here. And then maybe I'll explain a little bit why I wasn't enthralled with with the answer. And then, you know, I got to recruit you to, to to poke at him when these <laughs> things happen and being from the Shanahan. So let me let me see if this if this plays through a second here when I play this. Um, I I tend to try to really focus on the numbers that are right well this is a joke here at first no. here, so this is um, the, it, it's a it's a very it's a very it's a useful tool but like anything else you can't take anything as an absolute so you um you take in the information like hey um i understand why it's um over time you should probably go for it on fourth down here but you also um you, my opinion you have to be careful to do anything in absolutes and you have to understand, okay, what's the situation? What's the time of the clock? Um, how's our defense playing? What if we give the ball back? All of these factors. So it's a tool like anything else, but um, it, you use it um, with every, every other piece of information to try to make the best decision. Now, so that's like, I think the your average football fan and many people who try to quote tweet and yell at me when I when I critique this will think of that like it makes sense, right? You say there's information, you know, you don't go with it, you don't go with the the fourth down bot every single time exactly what this says, but you take it in and you use that information. Now, now I'll say the reason that I'm a little bit skeptical when I hear these answers, I guess it's, it's a couple different things. Number one. When I think of analytics, and I know that it's become, it's funny, you know, Kwesi uh, Adolfo Mensa, who's now the GM with the, the Vikings, he said he doesn't even like to use the word because it's become more about like who's doing it or like a model versus 
a way of thinking, like a way of just being kind of like thoughtful and intentional in what in what you're doing. So when he's describing it, I think he thinks analytics means like a computer model is analytics, basically. And it, I guess when I think about it more, I think what what it is is you're trying to come up with like the best decision and if you're going to say to yourself it's fourth and two from the 40 yard line with so much time left and they have the ball and there's so many timeouts like trying to figure out in your head mm. what that means is is difficult there's a lot of information to parse through there i mean you have some personal experience now you can use a model to come up with an estimate but then another part of kind of like this general way of thinking isn't just taking exactly what it says it's saying like well if you're thinking oh my offensive line's not playing well well then it's you know, researching in advance those types of situations to figure out, well, if the offensive line isn't playing well, how much of an effect does it have? You know, how much should it change our decision and so on and so forth. So I guess maybe that's my number one critique is just to say like analytics is this thing, this like model, as opposed to more of like an overarching philosophy of like, we want to be thoughtful about everything and being thoughtful means not just taking in a model's input and then you know, going with your gut, it means like using that with other information and studying what's the best decision based upon all those things and not just making that decision in the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Like not just, uh, and I, like I'm trying to, I, I don't want, I don't know if I'm qualified as a Mike McDaniel whisperer, quite well, <laughs> okay. but I think, yeah, that's, I, I would imagine that's kind of what he's going for that. Like, Oh, you can't like use it. You know, you're not just going to say, okay, well, the, like you said, like this, this imaginary computer is spitting out decisions for us. And we're just going to do what that means or what that says every time he's trying to like say, okay, it's a nuanced or a more nuanced decision than that. Yeah. So I guess you're, you're, you're fighting against the, you're fighting back against the idea that analytics is just like you said, this like sentient computer in the back of the coach's box that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's like, it's out. kind of conflated. Like the idea of thinking analytically is conflated with like uh, like this model, which is a tool that, and the reason that the tool is used is because it's better than your, like it's better than the, like you can't digest all this information and come up with an exact, yeah. you know, win probability in all these different situations. So that's the reason that it's used. It's not like, because you should just always go, you should always just take exactly what the numbers. And I guess my, my thing is like, I've just seen too much from Shanahan and maybe McDaniel will be different. I mean, I, I was a little bit skeptical of someone like Dan Campbell coming into this year, but he seems to have been pretty good about these decisions, but just sometimes Shanahan, like in, in for instance, in the, in the, uh, against the Rams in that, uh, in that playoff game, I think there was a, I don't remember it was fourth and one or fourth and two near the end where they ended up, uh, you know, not going for it, punting. But it was one of these situations where, according to the models, you know, you would have gone for that on fourth and six, maybe even like it's really a stretch. So there's not really any sort of thing. Like if you studied what may have been different about this particular moment than the inputs that are going into something like that, if you study that, you'd know that it's just too overwhelming of an advantage to ignore. And when he was asked about it after the game, he was kind of like, no, I didn't consider doing it. So I guess that's what I'm scared of is this idea of you take that and then you just combine it with the gut to make the decision as opposed to you take that. And then you also think in this kind of like thoughtful, methodical way around that to come up with the decision. I'm curious, you know, how, how much of some coaches, I guess, hesitance to, to rely quote unquote on, on analytics is i mean ego driven like uh like thinking oh i can't like you think like i can't make this decision myself like i'm a mfl coach or i'm an nfl head coach like i i know the game i'm smart enough to know xyz 
And uh, I, I guess maybe that's, I'm, I'm wondering if that's the divide, you know, between people who recognize it as a tool to make them better and those who maybe view it as a crutch or a, uh, I don't know, a crutch, a cheat code, a, a gimmick. Like, yeah, I, I, I yeah. don't know. I got it. I don't want to put words in people's mouth mouths, but yeah, like you said, it, it is, it is an overwhelming, it, it's too overwhelming of an advantage not to use, you know, teams that, uh, you know, teams that are able to, to utilize it properly uh, and coaches who are able to utilize it properly. Like they, they have an advantage. Like there's not really much to add to it. And I think, I don't know, like I said, I don't want to be the McDaniel whisperer here, Yeah. but uh, I, I, I am wondering like, you know, is that, is that what he meant to say? Cause I mean, if, if I'm correct, like he's, he's answered that question a couple of times in more or, yeah. or less like the same way. Yeah. So, yeah. He kind of said I, it in the same similar way. Actually he was mentioned in with Brandon Staley and he's kind of like, I don't really, he was about to say he's the opposite philosophy of Brandon Staley, but then he kind of caught himself and didn't quite say that. And then said, you know, well, another this is one of these like McDaniels isms where he says he's like, I am an absolutist about not taking anything as an absolute or something like that. It was, <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I know what that means, but OK, I kind of I kind of get I kind of get what you're saying there. Um, and well, OK, so this is another pet peeve sort of thing here. Another thing that I think is interesting is, yeah, I, I think you're right. It's kind of like this outside force. Like they see this this analytics thing is like this outside force that's that's. Uh, impinging upon their autonomy as like a head coach and, and what and what they can do. Because if you're going to ask a head coach about anything that could potentially be a value to the team, um, not as many coaches are doing this as what as what McDaniel did there. But if you notice, like in his answer, when they ask him, like, it, is analytics valuable? He'll be like, analytics is valuable, but and then he spends the next like two and a half minutes saying why it's not necessarily that that great of a thing. Whereas, you know, if you're going to ask him, like, how valuable is scouting? He's not going to be like, well, scouting is valuable, but you still you, you got to make sure you're not doing this and you got to make sure you're not taking two to the scouts too seriously. You got to make sure your scouts aren't this, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I do think it's like this outsiderism basically coming in, for, coming in. And maybe that's where the skepticism comes from also. I can see, I can see that. And, and I mean, as somebody who like, who works heavily with analytics and in analytics and, and, and is well-versed in that part of the game, then like, I can see where, like, I can see where you would take a little, take a little umbrage to it, like, and say like, well, hold on a second. Like, let, let's not detract from its helpfulness here. Like, let's not, let's not join the, the dog pile on the analytical community. I think, uh, I think I see I see what you're saying here, um, and I and I don't know. I, like I said, I I feel like as he does more of these and does does this media tour and gets used to to, to his thoughts being broadcasted, uh, I, I think he will learn how to maybe make his point a little more concisely mm -hmm. and not kind of like. I don't want to say ramble because that has such a negative connotation, but yeah. like not speak so off the cuff. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I because think he's like just thinking the, out, he is thinking out loud a little bit yeah. in a way. Yeah. And yeah. So like the longer you speak, like the longer you go for it, the, the greater chance of you saying something that <laughs> like is going to get pushed back, you know? So like, I yeah, think yeah. That, I mean, that's I, like I, a lesson for him to just like learn, learn when rambling goes wrong. Well, yeah, I guess the I proof guess. will be he's wrong, but. 
Yeah. Yeah. The proof will be when, when he's actually making these decisions and we'll see what's happening, but it's on my radar. It's on my radar, at least a little bit. Uh, if only, <laughs> only because like these things that he's mentioning that you have to consider, it's like, yeah, well, that, those are kind of like in the model, honestly, like those things that you mentioned are also, we, we can't account for those a little bit, but, um, how about okay? Let's let's just go straight to talking about Tua then, because this, I think this is the whole thing, right? It's McDaniel coming in. It's he is the maximizer, right? Or Shanahan is kind of like the maximizer. So the thought would be that he can be this maximizing guy too. It's weird to say, but in a way, in a career that had, you know, maybe was was struggling a little bit for Aaron Rodgers. Like when Lafleur came to Green Bay, he even in a way, if you can say you maximize Aaron Rodgers, I think getting back to back MVPs is kind of maximizing Aaron Rodgers. And we've seen Shanahan maximize, you know, anyone from Garoppolo to CJ Beathard to uh, Nick Mullins to Matt Ryan winning an MVP with um, Shanahan in the past. So is this connection here? Is this to a thing? I know we've seen the calls on the airplane and everything else. Is this, is this, what do you think about this connection? And is there this thing in the background still? Is there still all this chatter with, you know, what may happen with looking for another quarterback? Of course, the big name out there being Deshaun Watson. I think it's, I think that conversation should probably die off in Miami this year. I think that they are committed to Tua. Uh, they need a better backup quarterback. They need somebody who, uh, you know, they need a, a CJ Beathard or a Nick Mullins or somebody who can like just at least keep the ship afloat, the ship afloat if Tula gets hurt, which he often does. You know, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on a, on a show in, in South Florida and got a little bit of blowback for it. Like thinking like, why do we need to replace Tua? Why do we need a high end backup? Why do we need to light a fire under him? Because he gets hurt a lot. And yeah. Jacoby Brissett was not capable of keeping that offense afloat. Like as fun as a person as Jacoby was, he was not a good quarterback last year. Uh, so I think they need out, they need to add that to the room, but to his good qualities and like what, what does, you know, the, the positives when you talk about the pros of Tua, you can work with it. If you're, if you're a coach, if you're an offensive coach, he's accurate. He can make decisions quickly. His release is fast. Like he, it, it's a matter of, can he process the field fast enough to make, to, to run this offense efficiently. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know if, you know, McDaniel is big on, on yak. He's mentioned it several times. I don't know if his offense is so predicated on pushing the ball down. That is, that's not to his forte. You know, as much as Dolphin fans don't want to hear it, you know, yes, he is capable. He's he's capable of completing a 45, 50, whatever yard pass. But there's a wind up. It takes a lot of arm strength. And sometimes the ball hangs like it does. It's not on a rope per se, but uh, either way, like he, 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 is accurate in that intermediate range. So I think it's less about Tua right now and more about what they can fit, what, what they can fill around him. What more can they add around him? Um, Jalen Waddle is a great piece. Uh, you know, I think that we're really going to see him unlocked in 2022. But beyond that, it, the Dolphins are full of possession pass catchers. You know, Devontae Parker, not a guy who traditionally creates a lot of separation, but a guy who can win a 50-50 ball more often than not. Uh, Preston Williams can't really even get on the field and is a restricted free agent. I'm not sure he's worth discussing in this right now. Uh, Mike Gusecki, you know, he might be able to scrape, to scrape a couple yards together after the catch, but uh, still more of a possession moving change kind of guy. So uh, yeah, it's a matter of, can they find the proper talent to surround him with to, uh, you know, to really showcase his skill set. But after this year, I, I've been calling this a make or break year for Tua. 
because they do have to make a decision on that fifth year option after the 22 season. And, you know, from what we've seen over the past couple of seasons, you know, it, he's been fine. He's been fine. I don't know if he's a guy that gets a second contract though so far. And so this is the year for him to show people like, no, I am. I do deserve that second contract. Like I do deserve that fifth year option. I do deserve to have this team continue to, to financially build around me. And uh, I, I think it's going to be, uh, you know, he's got a lot of work to do this off season, but you know, he's, he's healthy. There's a little bit of stability. There's a little less drama than there have been in the previous two off seasons. Uh, I think it'll be a, uh, how he shows up to, you know, OTAs and, and training camp, I think will be, you know, it, it, it'll be telling as far as what kind of season he's, he's about to have. Yeah, you know, what I find interesting about Tua is, like, I mean, I'm probably part of this also, is that I think he is viewed in a way that's a bit differently. I mean, talking about your time in Buffalo, like Josh Allen was not, very good his first two seasons you know he was he was you know i would say he was kind of poor his first season he was he improved he improved pretty dramatically in his second season but still we're talking about maybe league average ish sort of quarterback play before making this explosive jump but you know excuse making for someone like that who at least in his first year in his second year to to also didn't really have great weapons you know they started to build the offensive line around him after a couple of years like i feel like if you're going to look at these those sorts of issues so those sorts of excuses that can be put around a quarterback like Josh Allen or maybe even Carson Wentz when he was younger or one of these guys that you think has this high upside because of this unbelievable physical talent sort of thing i mean Tua has the worst pass protection in the NFL, according to our numbers, according to pretty much everything you look at. I think ES, I think ESPN's own pass block win rate worse than the NFL. Um, you mentioned the receivers. They, you know, as a rookie that was very productive, at least on a reception basis, not necessarily like uh, stretching the field or, or things like that. And then other names that are also around. It's like if you had this same supporting cast around Josh Allen for his first two seasons, you know, people would, uh, you know, pitchforks would you'd be coming after you if you suggested that they should move on from someone like Josh Allen. But Tua doesn't get that. Is that because of just what we see from him and maybe not having that upside? Is he just the guy where you're just scared of what that ceiling is? So they're kind of like Tua and Josh Allen are are, are opposites in, in, in this way. The first two years, Josh Allen did not pass the statistical test. But if you watch Josh Allen play, he passed the eye test. He had, right. you know, there were moments where, like, I, the Cowboys game uh, on Thanksgiving in 2019, like, there were there were throws that he makes throughout that season that make you say, oh, wow. Like, okay, that he there's special arms out there at the very least. Like, the rest of the stuff is, is up here, the decision-making and, and knowing when to say die and, and yada, yada. Well, I guess he was running, that. too, right? So he was, he, was, he was a better runner yeah. also. Yeah, so he had that, too. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the stats were bad. You know, he's yeah. completing 50-some-odd percent of his passes. Like, right. He had a massive jump, you know, from year one to year two. And I think it was like he was still completing under 60% uh, of his passes. So, like, but with Tua, like, the numbers are, you know, he, he passes the, the stat test. He's efficient. I think uh, seventh in the NFL in completion percentage last year. You know, his, his TD to interception ratio is fine. Like, he, he, he they're not eye-popping, but they're not, like, like, oh my God, this is awful. Like, like yeah. we were saying, Josh Allen rookie year. But when you watch him play, he doesn't necessarily 
it, it doesn't pass the eye. He doesn't wow you. He hasn't had any, you know, off the top of my head. I can't think of a whole lot of plays from the last season where I looked at him make that throw and was like, oh, wow, that was that was special. Like, I don't like I look at the throw and I think I don't know how many other quarterbacks in the center in the league can can make that throw. Like mm-hmm. Josh Allen was making throws even when he was bad. He was making throws that were like, yeah, there's like three guys in this in, in this game who can who can do that. Uh, you know, my my good friend, Charles McDonald, uh, and I, you know, when we were talking about it, he he used this and I've said it a hundred times since Tua has shown flashes of competence, but not necessarily flashes of brilliance. And, you know, he is a competent NFL starter there. I don't, I think we can all, we can say that, but you're not really looking for competent when you get the number five pick. And, uh, so I think that you're, you're looking for a couple more of the wild plays, a couple more of the flash from Tua, a couple more things that are, you know, special beyond just like, you know, uh, yeah, he's really accurate in the intermediate to short range. Uh, but at the same time, like you, you mentioned that, yeah, he doesn't get that same leash that maybe Josh Allen got. Uh, but uh, I, I think he's kind of been done in by the rapid development of so many other quarterbacks in the NFL. Like Joe Burrow was, was special, you know, especially in year two, Justin Herbert was special almost as soon as he, he touched the field. You know, L- Lamar Jackson was good in his first, like excellent his first full season as a starter MVP his MVP, first season as unanimous MVP, Patrick, yeah Pat Mahomes MVP in his first full season as a starter yeah so I think like we've been sort of groomed even Baker Mayfield in his first year we're thinking oh wow like okay that's why that's why Cleveland took him number one overall like it yeah. was a little of a surprise on draft day but you know I think we've been groomed to expect instant success from guys and uh you know maybe maybe not everybody can can be special right away. Maybe some guys need to slow cook a little more than others. Granted, this is the NFL. It's a business. You can't cook forever. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I think two seasons is uh, two seasons is about long enough for as a quarterback for you to figure this league out and for you to respond to how the league figures you out, if that makes sense. No, like, no, I, I, think, I think that this is his year. He has to be able to show something. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think there's probably, I mean, you don't want to rely too heavily upon the, like the 49ers connection, but if you think about someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, right? Garoppolo, again, he's not wowing anyone. He's not throwing outside the numbers, which takes a little bit more arm strength. He's not generally, if very rarely throwing down field, but that offense has been really productive um, in a way where, you know, I think he averaged the most yards per attempt this season. Uh, he has more mistakes in terms of interceptions, but he, you know, he generates the the after the catch stuff. He's willing to throw it risky throws into the middle and generate kind of high production. He's like he he, he generates value, whether whether or not you you like it or not. So I feel like that is a path that Tua could could go on if he can execute this type of offense. That he could go and have that sort of value, but. You know, at a certain point, even Kyle Shanahan, who had gotten good production out of Jimmy Garoppolo, who got a really good record record wise out of Jimmy Garoppolo, decided to, you know, cash in three years of first round draft picks to look for his replacement. So then the the position comes, if you can say like Tua can become as productive as someone like Jimmy Garoppolo, maybe better. I don't know. Um, But are you just delaying the inevitable point where you hit the wall and you say, if we want to get to that next level, we're going to have to upgrade on that. And so, therefore, should you be making that decision even earlier uh, than you would 
otherwise, if, if unless, unless you're content to be like, we're a team that just wants to make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it, look, not, not to, not to keep name dropping here, but you know, Mina Kimes, you know, noted smart person. Yeah. Told me this a couple months ago that it's not so much comparing Tua to guys who are not available, like comparing Tua to like Burrow and Herbert and Allen and yada, yada. It's comparing Tua to guys who are available. So when you look at Tua compared to the guys coming out in this draft class, I, I think you, you choose Tua, then, then that's that. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going with a rookie and then I'm not, I'm not cashing in the picks that it would need to move up from number 29. In yeah, they're not in a great spot guy. too, right? Yeah, they're not in a great spot. Yeah. Like, I'm not getting rid of multiple first-round picks to go draft, you know, with all due respect, I'm just throwing a name out here, to go draft Matt Corral or, or mm-hmm. to go draft Carson Strong. You know what I mean? Like, I maybe, or even really Malik Willis. Like, I don't think any of these guys in this draft, any of these passers in this draft, you can definitively say, it, this is worth parting ways with multiple first-round picks to move up for. Like, that's, that's not going to happen. As far as starting caliber quarterbacks that are available free agency um, or via trade. So you're looking at maybe Rogers or Russell Wilson or, you know, he who should not be named in Houston. Yeah. Like, yes. On the field, these are all decisively better options than Tua. Like it's not even an argument. If we were going to say Aaron Rodgers or Tua, Russell Wilson, it's, it's like we're not going to spend much time debating that. But realistically, like it's like Tua versus Jimmy Garoppolo. Tua against or Andy Dalton, Tua or Teddy Bridgewater or Terod Taylor, you know, guys like that, or, or, or even Tyler Huntley. Like, I, I still think Tua is winning those head-to-head battles. So I think it, it, when you consider who they can realistically bring on board, uh, it, it's just, it's worth it to stick with Tua, at least for another year. And, you know, the way I see it is if, if he, if he develops, you know, like, people thought he would develop on draft night, then you found a quarterback. Like, you're good here. And, and you enter into year two in your system. He knows it. He's comfortable. And he should be able to lead you to the playoffs. If he's not good, well, then you've got two first-round picks in 2023. It's slightly better quarterback class. Then you can make a move for another good, for, for his replacement. Like, then you can start to figure out what are we going, what, what's our future really looking like at this position. But, but right now, you know, the – you know, delaying the inevitable, um, you know, maybe that's one way to look at it. But uh, I, I think it's probably more accurate to say he's the best option right now. Like he, he's going to be their best option, their best realistic option in 2021 or 2022. Let's just see what you can do with it. And, yeah. You know, like it's, it's evaluate. It's more of an evaluation than prolonging the inevitable. Yeah, no, no, it's true. Now you mentioned the injury angle. So that's something that's important from a backup standpoint, but even then, I guess maybe this also goes into how do you approach the backup quarterback position? Cause you could say, we're not like bringing someone in to directly compete for the starting position, but you can bring someone in to a be your injury hedge risk or B, you know, if things don't go so hot, uh, in the first half of the season, something like that. If you're if you're pretty decided that maybe he's not the future, maybe you want to look for someone who's a backup who has some unknown type of quality to them that you could learn about or bring forward. So, so what about those two decisions versus each other? Because I guess if you go with the little bit more unknown type, let's say I'm not that well versed on this quarterback class, but let's say they were, did draft someone 
who slips to the end of the first round, who's not necessarily like going to take over or maybe the second round or the third round. But the problem is if Tua gets injured, that could be a total complete flop, right? And then the, the, the team goes down, as you talked about with Jacoby Brissett. Or you could say, I don't know, like, what about if they bring in, <laughs> I feel bad who said, what if you like bring in like Mitch Trubisky or someone like that, you know, like, the pro- I think the problem bringing Mitch Kaprisky is people will already be talking about co- quarterback controversy from like day one a little bit too much than they should. But at least it is an option of someone you could turn over to where it's like within the realm of human possibility that he could be better than than Tua maybe as an option for next season. Yeah, I think it's that you've got to find that happy line, you know, between uh, in backups between, OK, this guy is clearly a backup. And yeah. nobody's going to question it. And this guy's a backup, but he might he might push you for your job. And I think yeah. Trubisky is the might push you for your job type of uh, you know type of backup. I think that uh, his whole point in going to his whole point in, in going to Buffalo was to rebuild his value as a starter. Uh, I think some team maybe that's between quarterbacks was going to find you know is going to bring him in to to bridge that gap. But uh, yeah, that's where I think the the Mullins and the Bethards and the Gardner Minshews maybe of, of the world are maybe more of a, of a fit guys who, who can come in and put up digits for like a, a game or two, you know, not a guy who you could really rely on for over the course of the season to, to win you games, but a guy who can come in in a pinch and, you know, run that offense pretty seamlessly. Uh, I, I think that is, I think it's of, of greater importance than Dolphins fans are willing to admit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, maybe it wouldn't hurt, you know, if, if, if one of these guys who falls, you know, just below that, uh, just below that, that threshold, maybe it wouldn't hurt to have a guy who could conceivably push to a first spot for a start if, uh, if he starts to struggle in the middle of the season or, or if he is actively, you know, if he's actively not helping them win games, if he's losing them games, if his play is a reason why the Dolphins are bad as a whole then yeah, maybe it wouldn't hurt to have a guy, you know, in the quarterback room who can maybe add a little spark to that offense. You know, I, I think it's just, it's about that time where like, I'm not necessarily ready to abandon shit quite yet, but like, I want to find a life preserver. Like I want to make sure I have a life jacket on. I want to know where the boats are. I want to make sure that they're working and, you know, in order, have they been tested this year or have they just been hanging off the side of the boat for the past two decades? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I want to start making sure I I'm going to survive if the ship takes on water. I'm not ready to jump, but you know, there's a couple, there's some, there's some water at the bottom of the boat that makes me like moderately uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's really hard. I mean, I feel bad. Maybe this is like uh indictment of Tua in a way, but I feel like even if you bring in like a Gardner Minshew, there'll be like some <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad it's it's like it's hard to say or if you you know i'm uh, yeah i mean obviously i mentioned like trubisky someone who was kind of you know a little bit of a punchline a couple of years ago uh could, could could fill that same sort of role so we'll 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 see we'll see but i think the first thing they have to do and this is what they'll say for all these different quarterbacks what they're gonna say about joe burrow what they said about herbert uh you know before him josh on they have to kind of build around him a little bit more according to numbers that i've looked at the dolphins have about 65 million in effective cap space. Uh, you mentioned the draft. Yeah, they have the 26 pick from the 49ers. They have 
the second round pick they have a compensatory pick from the 49ers in the third round and then a couple of fourths and, and it's a pretty kind of average sort of draft capital everyone knows about mm-hmm. the offensive line everything else and the cap space is there but generally when you spend in free agency you're not necessarily getting like a return three four years out on the road it's more like you're really going in here is this an ownership that's going to want to push some chips in here that they that they have to really to really push this team forward yeah, I think Steven Ross sees a lot of talent on this roster right now. Like, I think that, and I mean, winning 19 games over the past two years, like, yeah, you, you're good enough to win games. Like, you need some sort of, you know, some sort of shot in the arm to get yourself into that next tier in the AFC to get yourself into the into the playoffs. You only missed it by a year, and there is, this offense was just not good at all. So, like, I think, you know, spend the money to – Spend the money to improve that offensive line. Spend the money on a playmaker. See, swing for the fences. Can you get a Chris Godwin? Can you, can you get Devontae Adams? I don't know, man. Devontae wants a ton of money. The Dolphins can afford it. Yeah. You can, you can afford it. Yeah. You've got a lot of guys who, you know, a lot of the uh, the foundation of this team, um, they're either on rookie deals or they're already locked up. They're on already signed. I think you can afford to maybe go for broke here. It's kind of a matter of this Devontae Adams care more about money or Super Bowl contention um, in that draft. You can also, you know, use these draft, use some draft capital to get some playmakers, you know, it, wide receivers have been, I mean, over the past few years, get them out the box, plug them in. They're ready to go. Like the, the, this, we've seen some special playmaking talent over the past several years. Uh, you know, we'll see if, Mc, if McDaniel and Chris Greer can identify a couple in this draft. Uh, I'm a little hesitant to use draft capital on offensive linemen if if I was this regime because they have spent uh, four top 100 picks on offensive linemen over the past few seasons. I mean, you look Liam Eikenberg, Austin Jackson, Michael Dieter, Robert Hunt, like or these are yeah Robert Hunt. These are all guys who were taken in the first two three rounds. Like they're they have invested the capital. So one of two things is is going to be true here. Either one these guys are, are not that good and, and your scouting staff is not able to identify talent or two, your coaching staff has not developed said talent. So like, I, I think they're going to have to find out which category each lineman fits into. Um, they brought on, um, you know, they're, they're bringing on offensive coaches, specifically Frank Smith, the new offensive coordinator who have histories of developing offensive linemen. So I think that that's kind of tipping their hand there that they think, you know, these guys are better than what previous regimes have been getting out of them. But uh, no, I I don't, I don't think this is a, they're in that weird like limbo space in in the league where they're not really, they're not bad enough to tank and rebuild, but like, they're not good enough to say like, Oh, we're only a couple of pieces away. Like, I think that, uh, you know, they need some, they need to make some, they need to make some moves, man. Like they need to, they need to, make some some high impact moves this offseason in order to get to that next level. They can't afford to just like kick back and chill and say, yeah, we got a lot of money, but we don't really need to, you know, we don't really need to spend it. We're good as is. Mike Mike McDaniel, he's gonna fix everything. Like, no, they need they need talent, man. Like you can only you can only scheme all that Washington staff with McVeigh with LaFleur with McDaniel with can all on it. Like that's four future head coaches on the on an offensive staff. And outside of the RG3 year, those offenses stunk. So, like, you know, you need 
you can have all the genius in the world, but you still need talent at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can see the draft being a place to go after another receiver. I mean, you saw guys, again, if you want to go back to San Francisco, we saw Debo Samuel be pretty good in his rookie season. We saw Brandon Ayuk be pretty good in the second half of his rookie season, too. He had some health issues in his first season. But these are guys, I guess, guys who specialize on yards after the catch probably can integrate in a little bit better. Um, but you go for the defensive side of the ball, the defense, which has been good, right? The defense has been, has been quality. It's been what's driving the team here. I mean, you still have big cap numbers. I mean, it's basically Byron Jones and Xavier Howard are, you know, the, each of them are about 16 million each on, on their cap. Jerome Baker is another nine and change. And then we get down to Devonte Parker and Tua and others. So it's kind of like a very top heavy sort of structure that they have there, but they're going to need to build pieces around. I mean, how much do you think they need to worry on the defensive side of the ball of not, you know, n- not concentrating too much on the offensive side and then allowing what has been the strength of the team to degrade a little bit around those big chess pieces that they have at cornerback. Yeah, I think that's maybe a misconception about the Dolphins now is that like this defense is just, you know, don't touch it. It's fine. Like, yeah, only look at offense. Like Emmanuel Agba is an unrestricted free agent. He's their sack leader of the past two years. I believe nine, nine and a half sacks in each of the past couple seasons. He's an, he's an integral part of their rush. They need to bring him back. Um, you know, spot track has his value at, I think, like 10 a year. That is if they get him at 10 a year then he, he took the, the world's largest hometown discount for no reason for a team that has a ton of money. I, it just doesn't make sense. He's going to be closer to that 15 million rain year, you know, 15 million a year range. But I think he's good enough and he's active enough at the line of scrimmage that he's worth the money. So bring him back. Um, they're good at safety with Holland and, and Brandon Jones. Uh, I think that that's a really exciting safety tandem that I think the league, you know, maybe talks about a little bit more. Uh, this coming season, um, they are so versatile in in that. Like they can play in the box, they can play you know traditional deep covers. They can play over the top. Uh, they'll line them up on the line of scrimmage. They'll blitz their safeties. Like you just never really know what they're going to do with them. It's it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like how you know how the Bills use Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Like they're they're so interchangeable that it's kind of exciting to watch. Um, obviously, a ton of money invested in the cornerback position. I'm not, I don't know how sustainable that is just because it's so unorthodox in the NFL to, to put $33 million into that. And Xavier Howard wants more, deserves more, but so that figure is going to skyrocket if he gets what he wants. Uh, they do need help at linebacker. They need depth. They need speed in the middle of the field. Um, you know, wouldn't be surprised depending on how the board falls. Wouldn't be shocked to see them go linebacker in the first round, depending on who's there. Um, it'll, uh, you know, kid from, from Utah specifically, you know, if nobody's, if nobody jumps on him, if he inexplicably drops, then, uh, you know, he might be wearing aqua and orange in in the fall, but, uh, you know, they, they still need to add, they still need to add speed. I think on that, in that part of the field, um, Landon Roberts and Jerome Baker, uh, they're specifically Baker. They're, they're good players. They're fine players. They're not much in pass coverage though. And, uh, you know, I think that's why I think you saw some tight ends take advantage of them, uh, you know, when they did play against pass catching tight ends, specifically when looking at looking at Kyle Pitts for them apart. Uh, just nobody really is able to match up with them. Um, and then sneakily, man, uh, 
that nickel position, that nickel corner position is is wide open right now. Nick Needham and Justin Coleman are both free agents. Um, if I'm Greer, I, I bring Nick Needham back. I, I think he's been impactful when it, whenever he's on the field these past few years. But, um, you know, that's still, it's a position of need because they don't have anybody on the roster right now that I would say they're comfortable with starting at nickel corner. Um, so they got to make a decision on Coleman and Needham. Um, they've got to make a decision on, I mean, I know we're we're jumping into special teams a little bit, but Matt Collins as well, wide receiver, uh, came through with a lot of big plays for them on offense, but special teams, the guy is a star. Like, I, I think, uh, you know, worthy of Pro Bowl consideration as, uh, as a gunner. So, uh, you know, they have they have some moves to make outside of just improving the offense, but improving the offense is like the, that's the most prevalent goal. You know, that's the, that's the, the shiny little objective that everybody's focused on, but there is more work to do outside of that. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting for guys like Ogba in particular, because, you know, he was, I guess he probably played through his contract initially with the Browns before going to, did he go to Kansas city first before going to the the Dolphins? I can't remember, but um, so he's been like a productive sort of guy, but he's also a guy you can put into a bucket where like, if you look at like uh, what the Patriots have always done, they'd never, or rarely would sign one of these guys to a lot of money. They kind of just let them go someplace else, sign for a lot of money, bring someone in, hope they can kind of like manufacture that type of production. So it'll be interesting if they, if they view that in, in the same sort of way. And I guess maybe that also goes to my next question about philosophically on defense. I mean, they still have Josh Boyer there as a defensive coordinator from new England, but I don't know how involved like Flores was as far as the defense is concerned and whether now him being out of the picture, despite continuity for defensive coordinator if that's going to make a big difference too on how they're going to want to approach things yeah there there are a lot of conflicting reports out right now that uh you know that josh boyer called plays the entire season or that uh flores stripped them of that play calling um you know somewhere around week eight week nine when mm-hmm. we saw that defense completely <laughs> turn around yeah. and that uh the now jettisoned safety coach gerald alexander was more involved in, in fixing that that pass defense uh, than Josh Boyer was. But you know, speaking with McDaniel about it, you know, I just I asked him, I was like, hey man, like you say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Like, is that why you just you, you kept Boyer on on staff? And I, I think he was pretty adamant that like this wasn't just a, oh, I don't feel like touching that defense, so I'm keeping him here. Like he he vetted Boyer. He he sat down and spoke with him for a long time. He came away convinced that, you know, Josh Boyer is is the right answer to keep leading this defense. So like that's a that was a um, that was a as he described it, a calculated decision to keep Josh Boyer on staff. Uh, I guess we'll we'll see from here, uh, you know, that uh, they can't afford that defense can't afford to start slow like it did in 2021 you know we everybody blames the offense for that team struggles last year but like we knew what that offense was going to be like we nobody had high expectations for some like high powered you know offense going to give kansas city and buffalo a run for its money like you know what it was but the defense not playing well is why that team sucked for the first eight weeks of the year like it would they they allowed the most yards per game in the nfl from weeks one to eight they can't afford that kind of start here in 2022 and if they do then i guess we'll kind of see okay maybe it was uh maybe maybe that it, we we know who's at fault like maybe we know why uh who was really behind it maybe flores and alexander did take over play calling i know gerald alexander's wife got on twitter 
and kind of suggested as much and suggested that it, that Alexander was highly involved in it. But uh, and he did get an interview as a defensive coordinator for the Jaguars, but um, you know, obviously was not retained here in Miami. But uh, you know, we'll see. I know players have spoken highly about Josh Boyer uh, publicly, at least. Um, again, there's there are conflicting reports out about how happy players are about Boyer being there. I can't speak to the truth or validity of any of it. Uh, as far as I know, you know, Boyer's a good coordinator and, you know, he's he made a good impression on Mike McDaniel and that's why he's still here. Not sure how players feel about it, but uh, yeah, I mean, any time that you have a offensive and defensive-minded head coach, the coordinator of the side of the ball that they specialize in is always going to kind of be looked at like sideways, like, okay, how much, how much did you really do here? Like how much of that was your, were your ideas versus your, your head coaches? Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, like you said, well, we'll, we'll figure that out. And okay. Let me, let me hit you with one last big picture thing here. So I was going through, obviously we mentioned, you know, the winning record last season, nine and eight winning eight of the last nine games. But when I looked at, you know, I try to get a gauge of team strength by just looking at if you want to play some of your uh, hard-earned ESPN dollars, I don't know if you're allowed to do this, uh, on the uh, DraftKings Sportsbook, the 11th best odds out of 16 teams to win the AFC at plus 2,500. So only like a little bit less. If you if you look at the implied odds on that, that'd be like a 4% chance, like a 1 out of 20 sort of chance to win the AFC. Worse than last year. I looked up the equivalent number from last year, whereas this is a team that you would think at this part in the kind of rebuild, the real like that this this was a Cleveland Browns and the Dolphins really did like to strip it all down sort of thing. So that was 2018. So we're talking about was that 2018 or 2019? 2019. So we're talking about 20 yeah. yeah 2019, 2020. This would be the third year building up here. It's a it's a team that's kind of stuck in the mud. Do you think that's a fair assessment, or would you assume? Do you, do, do you expect more of a leap from this team, I guess, than what the outside observers seem to be thinking about them right now, where no one's really that excited? You know, I think there was probably more excitement around the team a year ago than there is now. Yeah, I mean, a year ago, they were coming off that 10 and 6 season. Like, yeah, uh, you, they were so far ahead of schedule that you're thinking like, wow, no, this is going to be a dangerous contender in, in at least the, the division and possibly the conference moving forward. Uh, these odds are. I think they're fair. Like in Dolphins fans don't lie to yourselves here, man. Like there's not like, there isn't reason. There isn't reason to think that right now as currently constructed, that this team is going to contend for the AFC period. Now it's February. And I did like really think about that. Like it is February, right? Yeah. It is. It's February. Yeah. You're in California. Uh, You're confused. I know. Like the draft hasn't happened yet. Free agency hasn't happened yet. We haven't been to like, OTAs and training camp, like none of this has is, is happened. So we don't know like what this roster is going to look like. So, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't place any of those hard earned dollars on any team odds right now, but like, I think that's, that's fair. I mean, like you, you lost, yes, you won, you know, eight of your last, uh, what is it? Eight of your last nine um, to end the season, but they were against like, they were against bad teams. You can only play who's on your schedule. Like and and they were dominant in in most of those games, but it is kind of concerning, you know, in the back of your mind, it's like an itch you can't really scratch. That okay, when they played Tennessee, when they played Buffalo, when they played 
Tampa, when they played Indy, when they played Vegas, like they, they lost these games against playoff teams or, or playoff caliber teams. I know Indy blew their, blew their only chance or blew the a layup at the end of the year. But, uh, you know, it is kind of a concern that they weren't ever, they weren't able to hold their own against, uh, against playoff teams, save for the new England Patriots. who Brian Flores, like inexplicably just has their number. You know, he, he knows how to beat Belichick, go figure. But, uh, you know, like I said, like, I, I think, um, it's a fair, they're fair odds. You do have to reserve judgment though, until this roster building and these, these personnel moves kind of take more shape and we get a better idea of what this team's going to look like. But yeah, as currently constructed, man, that's third in the AFC East. Like this is a really good division. Like it's uh, like, they got to get out of that first. Like they have to show me that they're capable of getting out of the division before I start, you know, banging on the desk that they need to have better odds to win the conference as a whole, like beat yeah. Josh Allen and Mac Jones, like they beat Mac Jones, but still like beat Josh Allen before I'm, I'm, I'm here talking about you beating Pat Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert, uh, you know, two of which they do play next year. We got, you know, just prepare now for the two of Burrow to a Herbert uh, <laughs> games. Yeah, well, I, I'm, just, I'm hearing the Justin. I mean, that Joe Burrow is now the greatest quarterback ever. After that's that Super Bowl run, so that'll be that'll be interesting then. Well, you, Marcel, thank you for joining me. You're going to be busy. I have a feeling during free agency with what uh, the Dolphins are going to be doing. Uh, follow Marcel on Twitter, Marcel underscore LJ. Anything else you want to plug? Anything else going on here, or is this like a, a rest a resting time here to get ready for when yeah. those sixty five million dollars get spent this off season? Oh yeah, this is a resting time. I told you it's never been boring since I got here. So hopefully, at the very least, it can be quiet for for uh, for the next month. You know, we got the combine coming up here soon, uh, and I'm sure that like a lot of this, a lot of draft, a lot of free agency stuff is going to start ramping up. But uh, for now, going to enjoy this time out of town a little bit. Uh, go through some of these nostalgia pieces, like the Kings jerseys behind me. Uh, you know, can't ever. <laughs> well, who do you got back fan. there? Is that Mike Bibby back there? Who was that back there? Uh, Oh yeah, both of these are Mike Bibby. We got the, uh, you know, the the weird royal gold jerseys that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. should probably never see the light of day again. And uh, <laughs> this one over here is so old that it's like it's actually a Nike jersey, like a before Nike took over, like the the, I mean, those, the outfitting. Those uh those King squads where you had you know Weber and Bibby and Vlade and Doug Christie and uh, Paja. I mean, those are legit. I mean, that was a that was a that was yeah. a championship winning team, basically, multiple years. If it weren't for the fact that I'm from Southern California, my Lakers were there, and you know, our referees were also there to help to help us along the way a couple of times. Uh, I was about to say, as long as you recognize <laughs> that the referees were yours, I was going to say we can go on. We've been doing. We've been on here for like an hour. We can we can go a whole another hour on the Western Conference Finals, man. Yeah, that, I mean uh, the refs. The refs were there, but then I also remember pretty distinctly. I guess it was the game six that everyone talks about, right? I also remember pretty distinctly in I believe it was that game in an overtime. You know, there was a, it got tight. It got a little tight from three point range for a couple of those shooters there uh, on the Kings. Also, when, when it came down to it, and luckily, uh, you know, Robert Ori, he just throws it. He just throws it up at the end of games, and things, things, uh, things, good things happen. Yeah, it was pretty whack. I mean, everybody wants to talk about the Ori shot. Nobody wants to talk about the Mike Bibby dagger uh, at the end of the very next game. 
Uh, <laughs> you know, I can I can still vividly remember where I was on the couch watching that game, like right on the armrest and leap over it. But uh, no, man, tough, uh, tough era to talk about, tough era to remember. Uh, yeah, we're nowhere near back. So uh, I yeah, think yeah, that's where it hurts more. Things have been things have been kind of kind of dark there. But I will. You want to talk about since we're all we're in the we're in the like the Hall of Fame sort of controversial Hall of Fame opinion. I feel like Chris Weber is someone who deserves a little bit. Not that he, I don't know if he actually deserves like to get in sort of thing. But man, that guy was good. I'm telling he could do everything too. He he could do it all. And yeah. I feel like he's a little bit. He's like kind of an underrated player for what he did, especially as a big man in that era. That wasn't just about like the post up sort of thing. Yeah, he, I think he was way ahead of his time as far as just like an athletic point forward type of uh, type of scorer, type of player, um, you know, could do a little bit of everything. I'm not going to say like he's he's not like as good as Giannis is right now, but like in, in that mold where, you know, he's just this 6'10 floor stretcher, you know, good for mid range, probably a little better shooter than Giannis was. Uh, if he didn't get hurt, you know, if he didn't have those knee injuries then I think maybe more people, his career would have lasted longer, more people would appreciate it. But no, man, Chris Weber was was truly special as a, uh, you know, as a scorer, rebounder, as a passer too, man. They had, uh, with, with Weber and Vlade, and they had two big men who could really move the ball better than, you know, most big men are expected to do. So no, re- real fun watching it, man. I might just throw old uh, 2001, 2002 highlights on my phone while I help clean this house out. There you go. There you go. Well, I know we probably lost everyone with the, with this uh, uh, talk here, but at least what's good for Everybody's Kings out. fans now is you can enjoy the Lakers uh, implosion here. So you have you have that you have you have that at least a little bit, a little bit here um, if it continues. So anyway, Marcel, again, thank you so much for joining me, everyone. Thank you for listening. I'll be following up with you next week where we'll go through uh, another team by team breakdown until then. Thanks so much. Thanks.